0: Welcome to Can I Speak to Your Product Manager? The nitty-gritty with your favorite PMs. I'm Kyle Kolich, Vice President of Product at Zora.
1: And I'm Lucas Weber, Director of Product Management at Zora. On today's episode, we have Randy Mercer, Chief Product Officer at One World Sync, And we're going to start off the show by talking about Randy's recent Never Have I Ever moment, as well as his best tips and insights for being a successful PM in the ever-evolving business landscape. Thanks for joining us today, Randy. So each episode, we like to kick things off with a little game of Never Have I Ever.
0: Never have I ever. Never
1: have I ever.
0: Never have I ever.
1: We know that outside of work and your role, you're probably asked to do some things that maybe you never thought you'd get to do, but no matter what, they magically get done. So we wanted to bring your experience here to the show, and hopefully you could tell us a little bit about it, maybe get your perspective as a PM, and in the process, hopefully we'll find out a little bit more about you. So, Randy,
2: tell us a little bit more about your Never Have I Ever. Okay. All right. So, you know, it, in, in product management, what I found over the years is you end up dealing with a lot of things that you didn't expect to do and you don't know really know what's coming next. So going back in my career before I, I started in technology, I literally had not traveled out of, outside of the state that I grew up in. And right off the bat, one of my first trips was to Zandam, Netherlands. And so for a kid that hadn't traveled a lot, Really brought out, brought a lot of anxiety and a few things I had to figure out very, very quickly. So today I travel about 80% of the time. So I use that experience really just to learn that, you know, you got to deal with things, step back, understand what you're, what you're up against and then, you know, project that onto whatever you're working with. And it really has been a tool that I use to just remind myself every time I get something new, you know, kind of go through those steps and, and step back. And so it's really helped a lot in my career. So I flew into Amsterdam and then had to take the train up to Zandam, which is north, about an hour or so north of, of Amsterdam. So a few things about that. I mean, literally had not traveled out of the country. I'd barely traveled at all. I'd never been on a train in my life. Yep. Off there by myself as as, you know, had been a pretty young kid, just figuring out a lot of things. You know, I travel has never been something that comes naturally for me anyway. So it was just one of those things where we just kind of tested my my ability to just work through it through a few things. You know, for other people, it's second nature for me. It just really was not. And yeah. So it just at the time. Yeah. Yeah. How's so.
1: your, how's your Dutch? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is non
2: existent. I can barely speak so, English. So, yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: Awesome. What, what kind of like first gave you a, oh, wow, I'm really, I'm not in, not in my hometown anymore.
2: Yeah. There was, there was a few things. So when I first landed, I went to a Burger King in the airport and I realized very quickly that Burger King is not the saint every place on the planet. So it was my introduction to foreign food, was Burger King somewhere else. But what was interesting about it is the the climate. I, I had at least researched the climate a little bit, mm-hmm. and as it turned out, it was one of the cold the coldest cold snaps in the history of that that region. So, Amsterdam slash Zandam. Uh, so, I was not prepared for that, nor was anybody in the in the area. So, we dealt with traffic jams and all kinds of things like that that nobody there knew knew how to handle. So. It was just all kinds of things that were just outside of the norm for, for me specifically, but then just the region, which just kind of added some some weirdness to it. So it was a lot. Anything
1: specifically memorable that comes from that first trip that, you know, you still remember to this day, maybe
2: favorite food, favorite thing that you saw? Yeah, you know, I just, I just remember, you know, having tons of anxiety about going, right? Because I just hadn't traveled a lot, specifically out of the country. And I knew some of the people that I was going to see because, you know, I'd worked with them just remotely and so forth. And I just remember having a great time and just really enjoying, you know, hanging out with them, doing things over there, and just a little bit of an introduction to the culture that I had absolutely no appreciation for. You know, visited a, a big customer one of my first times in front of a really large customer as well. So a lot of things there that just indoctrinated me to the things that I just do every day today and kind of take it for granted. And I do, I just, I look back on that as something that just sort of, Grease the skids for a lot of the things that I do today. I think culturally, it was, you know, as an introduction to a culture that maybe is a, a little bit more direct in their communication style than, ah. um, than what I, I think of now. So I, one of the, one of the folks that I met with at the, at the customer was there a procurement guy who was about six, six, all dressed in black and just, you know, nice guy, but just, just in cr- crazy direct and super intimidating to a, just a young kid who just had not done any of this stuff before. So one of the things that and and since I've worked with you know with with some of these people for you know going on 20 years now you know so now I just very much appreciate that but then it was it was something just net new to me and yeah. probably one of the things that I remember the most for sure
1: if you take a look at it back now from you know years of product management experience like you know what do you think how would you maybe would have done things differently if you had a little bit more experience and and still no travel experience but just Given being a product manager, is there something else that you would maybe look at things differently or do things differently?
2: How you, a million of them, right? And so, okay. so since since I went on that trip, that was twenty three years ago, and the product I had just started working for a company, we had written a new product, and this was this was one of the one of the first times pitching this product to you know it's a really large customer, and we would we've sold a few copies of it, and now selling it to a, to another customer. Fast forward to literally last week, I was in Germany pitching the exact same product now 23 years down the tracks to another big retailer, you know, in, in Europe. And, you know, some of the things that I, that I'm prepared to speak to today relative to that product, the history of it, the architecture and all of those kinds of things are things that I, I just, I, I didn't know anybody would care and ask about that going back 23 years. So I think when, you know, going back, I, there's lots of things that I probably would have prepared myself for and my product for in ways that I just didn't appreciate at the time. And now you have the experience and you've been through it 50 times and you know, you're just much, much more prepared for that. So is it, you know, as it, as it projects itself onto product management itself, you know, just forward thinking, you know, when you start thinking about a product, you should be thinking about how you're going to, you know, you know, justify the value proposition and describe it to a customer, position it, be ready to answer those questions that, They're going to ask about the technology and so forth. And, you know, just things I just had no idea I should be thinking about at the time.
0: I actually enjoy that invention and it shows the innovation there, which kind of leads us to our second segment of innovation therapy and other wild tales. (laughs) Stories about innovation agility that you have in your background. I just wanted to get your thoughts and what's kind of top of mind for you as as, as being a PM.
2: Yeah. So for us, you know, today, I, I, our platform is a, is a SaaS platform that sits between the large manufacturers of products. You know, I think, think almost anything you would buy at a, a grocery store or a match merchandiser it sits between those folks and the, the, the big retailers, you know, we'll, you know, can name a bunch of those. And what our platform is used for is to, in some cases, create, but manage content that, that is going to be used to represent products yeah, online help move them through the supply chain, manage all the logistics associated with getting them on shelves and, and merchandised and, and all of those kinds of things. So for us, we're reliant on the existence of, of product content, number one, you know, for the brands that use our, our tools, they're placing content in there, they're using our tools to manage those, and then ultimately they're exposing that content to the folks that need it to sell their products, which is retailers, distributors, and those kinds of things. There's a fair amount of those folks that just aren't prepared to do that. And so we offer services that help them with that. You know, if they don't have the content, we create it. If they don't know how to manage it, we do it for them and so forth. So where that leads to is when you look at the the things that are evolving technologically today, AI is the one thing that you just hear it every single day, right? It's going to take over the world and so forth. And so to the extent that the story is about it taking over the world, the reality is, It's not going to in in the near future, but there are just a million and one applications for AI all over the place. But when you think about related to our business and the things that our customers do with content, creating it or ultimately using it, there's a variety of ways that we can leverage AI to just make their lives easier, provide more value within our platform. And so for us, where we've already implemented AI is related to the work that we do on behalf of major brands all over the place in terms of reconciling content that may be coming from different sources within their enterprises, doing things to evaluate its completeness and accuracy and quality and so forth, so that when we ultimately inject it into the, into the retail landscape is it's, it's as ready as it can be to do its job, meaning represent a brand online or whatever that might be. And for that, we've just seen crazy results in terms of how we could speed up that process, take manual intervention out of that, do a lot of stuff with the tech or a lot of work with the technology itself. And then ultimately repurpose the humans for quality assurance, doing some work relative to improvement of content, leveraging feedback loops and so forth. So we probably see, you know, 50 to 60% improvement just in efficiency and the reduction of labor associated with doing some of those activities on behalf of the brands. We started doing that, you know, several months ago and we just, just going to continue to evolve. And for us, it just means just a much more efficient business on our side and just much better results that we get for our customers when we're doing that work. Here in just a couple of days, we're going to release a an AI based feature within our core platform that is more generative in nature. And so, think of of tools like Chat GPT, where you can type in a, a prompt and it gives you some content back. Our customers, you know, are, are are tasked with that all the time when they're thinking about what is the the copy that I'm going to use that you know that a customer is or a consumer is going to read when they look at my product online, and then how is that going to get digested into more SEO context, meaning how is it going to power parametric search and so forth like that, or say, you know, those kinds of use cases. So our customers, you know, historically they're using copywriters and things like that. And we're going to introduce a tool. Literally tomorrow we'll release it into our our beta platform that allows them to do that right within our management tool, right? So they're putting lots of information about their product and we're going to use that to construct prompts that will deliver them or generate content that they can use to describe their product for the organizations that don't have the wherewithal relative to to marketers that are you know sitting there ready to construct that copy it's just a great very efficient way for the for the brands that might be challenged in that regard to generate this you know this copy very quickly very accurately very efficiently and should be a nice nice feature for a lot of our customers
1: that's really impressive can you can you maybe so you, I think you gave Kevin an example of this content that you're talking about so like product descriptions right but how far does your your services extend? And, and then obviously, how does the AI can help? Because obviously, we've heard of the fact that not only can AI, you know, solve exams and write novels and things like that, but there's also generative images, right? So, you know, do you also include that kind of as part of the, the
2: copy that uh, services? It's a great question. So just, you know, going back to the copy itself, you know, what's interesting yeah. about, you know, some of the platforms and the, or tools that are out there today some of the concerns about those is when you, you know, you ask it to, you know, generate something for me or I write my term paper or whatever, yep. you know, what the the information that AI is trained on is what's visible to it uh, on the internet, largely, right? It can be completely fabricated in many cases, right? By contrast, when our customers are looking to generate copy that's going to represent their product online, it can all be fabricated, right? It's got to be fact-based, it's got to, you know, really accurately represent their product and so one of the things that that we can do in that regard is we're basing it off of the facts that are injected into our system from the brand itself and then we're layering into that keywords that come from from some of our analytics tools that are looking at search you know search performance and things like that on e-comm sites to understand what keywords are are contemporary in terms of what's being used to search for that product we meld all that together when you look at images We do a lot of things there as well. So brands have images to represent their products that come in varying states of readiness or quality relative to being used in e-com and so forth. So we've historically found ourselves doing some things to those images to clean them up, you know, background removal, just intensifying the pixelation and those kinds of things. And those are things that we're now starting to apply AI to, right? So something a human used to do in Photoshop, we've now got AI tools doing those kinds of things. So, yep, imagery the combination of text and imagery for annotated images and all of those kinds of things. That's really where we'll end up with all of that. Awesome. I do have one one more question before I completely monopolize, but
1: this is very fascinating. One of the other things I was thinking about is you were talking about copy, you know, we tend to think about copy as in English, right? Because obviously U.S.-centric, et cetera. But your story that we started with, travel to Amsterdam, Europe, right? I mean, you've got, each country's got its own culture, way of looking at things, et cetera. It, does it help? your tools to generate copy in other languages so for example for retailer coming or manufacturer coming in from the us and you know selling their goods across the world would your tools help them with copy that's like specific to a particular geographic location in their language
2: and culture it's a great question and the answer the short answer is yes right so we deliver we deliver content today in 13 different languages and you know going back a number of years we we literally had people that spoke those languages that could read english so we'd produce the content in english and then we'd send it past the right person with the, you know the correct language set manually translate that into into something that contextually made sense in that language and so forth there was a period of time where translation tools i mean they've been available for a while but they weren't they weren't at a level of quality where they would translate it into the right context in that language and and what you're seeing today our translation platforms, AI, and, um, you know, based on AI, they can do that very, very well. So we've, we've started doing that over the last several months as well. Just letting the AI do the translation, uh, finding more and more that it fits the context of the, uh, of the geography that we're injecting that content into. And again, we'll just continue to find those types of use cases for, for AI.
0: I just kind of get out and understand the history of it. But when you did the translations and it was wrong, did, like how how did you get the feedback? Because the feedback was on the front page news that, you know, the ketchup said something that was really naughty. You know, how did the feedback loop happen for some of those, the content that's actually put in play?
2: Yeah, it's, it's you know, f- with our platform and our services specifically, it comes in the form of claims that are submitted by our customers, right? So we send okay. the content out there and, and it's, you know, it's not just translation. I mean, there's other things that they can see that they maybe just don't quite like about it. And they literally submit claims. Hey, we saw on this item, we saw this thing that wasn't quite right. So you know, in testing AI is related to translations, we relied on that as the feedback mechanism to help us understand. Because I can't speak the language, so I can't read it and see the if the context is right. correct. That's what we relied on to understand the quality, and we were honestly very surprised at the lack of or the you know the low number of claims that came back on it, which means the AI is doing a pretty good job of that translation.
1: So you're saying you're you're seeing a speed up of like fifty to sixty percent efficiency a- around this. Are, are there other benefits that you see this kind of AI capabilities bringing? maybe top line bottom line that you're seeing might might get there? And then the, and then the other question is, how, how does one differentiate yourself when, when you're basing it on large language models, right? That's yeah pretty much the internet, right? Is, is there a secret sauce there that a company can can bring to the table?
2: Yeah, we, we think we have a secret sauce, but just going back to just the benefits to our business, Mm-hmm. You know, starting with the value proposition of the customer, right? If anything that we can do faster in terms of of helping them with the content that's going to make it into the marketplace, when you think of just speed to show, speed to market, getting out something, something online in five days versus 30 days, you know, just all kind of benefits associated with that. You know, for us, you know, historically a fairly manually intensive practice of managing content, creating it and those kinds of things, it allows us to just bring a lot of efficiencies to that, just from a manpower perspective. And day one. What we're, we're doing is anything we do in AI, we're then QCing that by the humans that used to do the work, right? So over time, you'll be able to just shift that manpower to just different purposes and things like that. So yeah. all kinds of things, just from a you know a scalability perspective, understanding timelines. You know, humans can take five minutes or five days, just depending on what the task is. And It might vary from one product to the next. You know, using technology, you get, you know, you get much more predictable timelines. So all kinds of advancements there when it you know when you look at the secret sauce that we have relative to content generation again going back to you type a prompt into a let's say a chat GPT and it's going to spit something back at you based on what that tool has been the, the, how the model has been trained on information that it's exposed to on the internet right yep when you look at our customers using our platform to introduce a brand new product into the marketplace, Nothing about that product exists on the internet now. You know, it doesn't know the product, doesn't know the brand name, how height or, you know, how big it is, how it's described, what color it is, it knows none of that because it's brand new, it hasn't hit the, hit the, the public domain yet. So that's content that those details are being introduced to our platform from the manufacturer, often through integration into his internal systems like ERPs and PIM systems, things like that. Our platform is the only, only only place where that that content is really aggregated into a place where you can expose it to a model and then generate content based on it. So it's an advantage we have in terms of generating that content. The manufacturer could go to, you know, any place and type in a prompt and get something back, but that thing has no details on which to provide something credible. We have those details. So Mm. the content that's going to be produced by that generative AI is going to be of a a relevancy and an accuracy that just isn't going to exist anywhere else. So to us, that's that's our secret sauce.
0: And see the connection with the, the the manufacturer, but can you help me understand how the it actually works with the retailer and that flow that manufacturer the retailer and how that content kind of gets pushed through the cycles and the retailer kind of consumes it. What are some of the 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 kind of innovation that you do with with that kind of part of that that overall life cycle?
2: Yeah. So a few, a few different things. So the way that we deliver content out into the marketplace, there's a few ways we do that ranging from accumulating con- content into a library that a retailer or a distributor can just reach into via API and just pull out the content that mm-hmm. they need. Some retail or, or even distributor organizations have some very specific requirements relative to the construct of copy, just as an example, right? And just think SEO. If I'm retailer XYZ, I'm going to want some keywords in that copy that are going to lead somebody to my econ platform when they search on it, you know, online. And so those retailers have just different, you know, they call them style guides relative to what types of content that they want to see in there. And so when we're, for some of those retailers, when we're thinking about the copy that we're going to deliver to them, it's unique for each one. So when you think, just go back to the generative AI that I talked about where, you know, we can use the data that's in our platform for a specific product to construct a prompt about that product, what we're able to inject in there are keywords that we want included in that copy that are potentially unique to that retailer, right? So the way we deliver the content to the retailer can vary. We can push it to them in a variety of forms or they can reach in and grab it, but just contextually, we can make it unique or specific or proprietary to that retailer along the way as well.
1: Awesome. Well, maybe this is the, the time where we can shift gears and, and just jump into a little bit more detail. So this is going to be our segment on PM power moves.
2: Power, power,
1: power move. So again, getting into things that are a little bit more intense, more that require that PM extra sauce, extra skill to, to get things going. Randy, are there things that you've needed to do either recently or in the past where you just had to apply all the PM firepower you've got to to get things going.
2: Yeah, you know, for, for us, as we built our platform out over the last several years, we found ourselves acquiring a lot of technology. And specifically, we've acquired about eight or, eight or nine different, different technology platform that we've integrated into our solution portfolio. So for me, a shift in me and my product manager, it's really been a shift from, you know, building a lot of things organically, you know, new features into the platforms and now reconciling capabilities that are coming from other platforms and then getting them integrated into, into things that we already have. So I think for us, that's, that's really where it's been. The heavy lift has just really been understanding what capabilities exist in a new platform that maybe didn't exist in our existing things and how we can cross leverage those and get them integrated in the right way. That's really been it for us.
1: Got it. So clearly a shift in, in a mindset, right? Because traditionally PMs think of building things. And so it sounds like that takes a little bit of a different point of view, right, from the PM side. Is there something you can tell us about, like, you know, what are you thinking of? I think some of this you mentioned, fit, right? Does it bring something new to the product that you already have? But but I think the other part you're mentioning is also how do you bring it together and actually leverage it? Can, can you speak a little bit about, you know, so how how do you wrestle that down?
2: Yeah, just, you know, just to start with corporate culture, right? So, you know, over the last several years and lots of acquisitions, again to fill very specific gaps in in our portfolio set you look at hundreds of, of platforms and hundreds of organizations to get down to the few that you actually think will will be a good fit what i think some people might not think about is when you acquire a technology platform you get a lot of people with it right you get the people that built it the people that product managed it the people that sell it the product you know the people that do everything associated with that and so you you know you want to you want to bring something into the family that is, you know, it's going to be a set of people that you can work with, right? So you look at that corporate culture and you try to understand that because, you know, one of the things that we, that we have to work out right away is you bring in some new folks that they built this piece of technology, but now, you know, something that they used to sell is, and that was their product, right? And now it's going to become part of this much bigger thing. And it's going to just hold a little bit different context. And they need to start thinking about it differently. They need to think about it within the context of this larger solution portfolio. So you've got some education and training that has to happen very, very quickly to just indoctrinate them into, you know, the overall portfolio and the role that they play in it. And it's always an important role or you wouldn't have brought the thing in in the first place. So a little bit of a balancing act from a product management perspective. Most of our product managers, very quickly, we start cross-functioning them. So they, they may have, you know, been very focused for years on the one thing that they were building and now they're starting to understand a, a bigger portfolio and they have to understand all of the different places that they can maybe plug that thing in. Before long, they're almost doing product management on a completely different product other than the one that they started with. So those are just some of the aspects that we found ourselves really having to focus on you know, over the last couple of years, where for many years it was just all about organic, you know, just building things internally mm-hmm. and, and the engineering associated with that.
0: As, as you've done more acquisitions, are you weighing different kind of vectors now because you've done more? Like like you said, like the culture of fit, the people, is that now more weighted heavier when you do these, you know, uh, when you look at different companies or are there other things that you kind of say, like, you know, we've done a couple of these. I think this is actually more important than what we used to think. Do you have any of those kind of changes of perspective?
2: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, if you could go back and do the first acquisition again, yeah, you know, maybe you would have made a slightly different decision based on the things that you've learned after, you know, you get down a couple of years down the road. You know, just things like tech stack, right? You know, you're always going to do due, due diligence on the technology, and you want to make sure that it's built right and and constructed, you know, yeah. uh, in the right way, and so forth. But the more of those you do, and the and and once you've had to integrate one of those into your platform, you really start think, you know, thinking differently about how much time during due diligence I would have placed on that versus maybe some of the other things that I thought about. You know, and that ranges from the tech stack itself. It goes, you know, if you think about the commercial side, how that organization may have thought about about selling that particular feature. Uh, You're going to think about that differently now that it's combined with a lot of other things. You know, it's just a a lot of things in that regard that, you know, you get down the road and you just, if you could go back and ask a few more questions on the earlier ones. You, you certainly would
0: have done that. You said you went through hundreds of, of, of different types mm-hmm. of portfolio of companies. I mean, how, I guess, how did you balance the time? I and mean, did you have a dedicated team to that? Or did the PM kind of spend, you know, part of their, their week on that? I mean, how'd you manage the, 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 the funnel and then be able to whittle it down with the, you know, the, you're doing their day job, plus you're doing this piece?
2: Yeah. You know, you, you start with a list and, and for us, we, we do, you know, we had, we had several people, analyst level that were you know, literally just looking at this is the problem we're trying to solve and you've got a few different options, right? And we we always looked at it from a from a, a buy, partner, build, you know, perspective, you know, back in the day, we, all, we would always just build it. And then you start looking right. at how do we get there faster, right? Can we partner for it? If it's something that's maybe not so strategic, we may just partner for it, you know, something that we can just bolt in really quickly. If it's something that, you know, it's going to be a core competency, very strategic, we're not going to partner for it. So now it's either build it or buy it. So buy it is often just the fastest way to get there. So really you just start with, you know, what are the platforms that we see out there or the technology that we see out there that we think are going to fill that gap? And you just start with a conversation around them, right? And, you know, many organizations, you, you got to look, are they actionable or not? Meaning, you know, are they, are they willing to sell their, their company? Are they on the market? Those kinds of things. And then you have that initial conversation and you just start weeding some out. If you float to the top and you just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you, you know, eventually you end up with some commercial conversations around the whole thing and mm. get into the culture and the tech stack and all of those kinds of things. So it's, yeah, it's a work of it. I mean, it's probably 50% of what I do is, is just those kinds of things. In general acquisitions at some point,
1: I mean, maybe once you have a lot of practice can be difficult. I mean, sometimes even with all the due diligence, do you find that, that that's kind of the case that sometimes, you know, you do all the work and it can kind of vary how well the acquisition onboards ultimately to the, to the bigger
2: enterprise? Yeah. Results may vary. So hmm. yeah, we, we, we have definitely found that, you know, one of the, one of the things that surprises us a lot uh, just from a product management perspective in general, and this goes for things that you've built to things that you acquired to, you know, even partnership is the market acceptance that you may be expected. Uh, just may not, may not be what you thought, right? Meaning you thought we're just going to sell like hotcakes and it just doesn't. And you've got to figure out, diagnose like why isn't it selling like hotcakes because it seems so applicable. In other cases, you just quite weren't ready for the go to market, the speed of go to market that, that, ultimately happened, right? Like people are just buying this thing like crazy we just weren't prepared for that. And so that's what we found with the acquisitions is as much work as you do and as much as you think it's going to impact the portfolio in a certain way for one reason or another, it just may not. And it could be the, you know, the, the, the culture and the mindset of the folks that you're just bringing in and how they think about the technology and how it's being applied to, you know, to your platform. It could be the technology itself, you just find it's harder to integrate than you thought it might be. And so just all kinds of things that can just, you know, make the results a little bit different than what you thought.
1: Hmm. Wow. So there's just a lot of variables here, it sounds like, to, to onboard an acquisition, some which may be in your control, some which may not be, as it sounds like some may be a great fit and they just present themselves to you at the right time in the right place. Some may not, they take longer. And then ultimately, even when you do close on the acquisition, again, be prepared that there's
2: going to be some variability. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, overall, what we found is, you know, a couple, you know, three years down the road, we, we, I think the results are good. You know, we've, we've had really good luck of ultimately just getting, getting things in the place that we wanted to from an integration perspective, either commercially or technologically. So we've had great results. You just find that you just may have to think about it a little bit differently once you get it in your hands and get that work done.
1: Mhm mhm do do you think that by doing my personal experience right is whenever you do something new once it's always very hard right and if you do it infrequently it doesn't get really any, any easier in your particular case you've done a number of acquisitions would you say that if when you do it regularly or or you're you know frequent acquirer does it seems to me like you'd get just more skill and practice and so therefore do, do you feel like as you did more acquisitions, they became more successful ultimately because of your experience with, with prior acquisitions? And would you recommend folks that if they do buy, that they actually look for you know that kind of a strategy on a more regular basis rather than just one-off big, big acquisition? Is, is there anything like that that you'd recommend folks looking at?
2: Well, you're absolutely right that the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I would say if there's anybody in an organization that's gotten pretty skilled at this, is it's probably our CFO who has the heaviest lift mm-hmm. relative to integrating an organization and understanding what the books look like and how you're going to integrate those into your current business. You know, for us, every one of them, you know, from a product management perspective, everyone's a little bit different, right? Because we're trying to fill mm-hmm. a different gap. It's different technology. It applies to a different problem, you know, but just the, the way that you go through that The process of due diligence. You know, the first time we did it, you know, we're kind of figuring that out for the first time, and you start developing a template. So, you know, these are the things I need to ask, things I need to look for, things I need to really drill down on. But the the net of it is, you know, you get you know into uh, you know three, four, five, six, seven. You know, we're into eight or nine. You do start getting pretty practiced at it, and so it's just every organization is different. You may just need one thing, you know, and maybe you're just buying a customer base. Maybe it's the technology. Maybe you just need the skill sets that, uh, that that company has. So, you know, every organization isn't going to have a need to go out and just look for acquisition after acquisition. But of you know, it is something that you need to put some time and attention into, and just get the better you can get at it, the more successful it's going to be.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And it's got to tie to like the overall kind of strategy you're going with. I think you you make a good point where you know some acquisitions are about market, some about people, some about technology. You know, and some are all the whole thing, and that may take longer. But it, you know, maybe the faster ones, it could just be, you know, market, the personnel, and that's maybe a faster one. But if you're doing a whole stack where it's like a big tuck-in, you got to you know validate the you know the the their tech stack. You kind of validate the people. I'm sure those take a little longer. And then plus they're probably who you're negotiating with. But it's a process, definitely in place. And I think one of the hardest things too is the sometimes one the ones to say no to. The ones you kind of have to say, you know, this isn't a good fit. We walk away, which I think leads us to our last segment, which is ship it or skip it. What do you want to do? Let's do it. No, no, maybe yes. So the first one I was on, on, on your website and you had a, a VR of a, of a motorcycle and the content of delivering the motorcycle and showing the, what it looks like. And I was like, you know what? I thought it'd be interesting, a hoverboard if they did that at a hoverboard. So my asks is, would you ship it or, or skip it? Would, would, you, would you go for it with a hoverboard?
2: Ship it, for sure.
0: Ship it. Okay. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, the like ARVR stuff is just super fun. So the more examples you can do with that, the better.
0: Good, good, good. And I think you're in this second one, you're getting more comfortable with AI, starting to write more of your contents or do more of the copy with it. Would you, though, buy, buy and read a book or novel written by an, uh, an AI writer, a full novel?
2: I, I would ship it. Yeah, I would do that.
0: You would give it, give it a go. You put, put down your 1099 and sit down and, and devote the time to read an AI novel. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, yeah. good. This one's a little bit more hopefully fun. Would you go on a European vacation with your family? Ship it or skip it?
2: I would, I would skip it personally. Okay. And at this point, I've been to Europe a by, as I mentioned, I was just there last week. So I've been yeah. there a bunch for those purposes. So I've kind of got my, my fill of it. My family, on the other hand, would, would do that in a second. So I would, I would skip it. They would ship it.
0: Lucas, what do you got? Yeah.
1: I, I've got like one or two here. So we're obviously talking AI already. And one of the things you're wrestling with on the PM Power moves was acquisition. So I was just wondering, would you ever delegate the acquisition due diligence?
2: to AI? Yeah, I it, there are certainly elements of it that will definitely get there, right? And when we look at some of the applications of AI today are around records records reconciliation, meaning it's looking at two sets of documents and understanding what's, what's similar, what's not, you know, and it's looking for errors and things like that. But we spend a lot of time doing that, especially I mentioned our CFO and the work that he does relative to these things. And a lot of that is plowing through sets of documents and understanding where there's anomalies and the numbers and things like that definitely you're going to see AI applied to those types of practices.
1: Got it. Okay. So you, you see a lot of room for, again, optimization, just speed to conclusion of the process, right? Where you could apply AI. Yep. All you right? got it. Yep. Ship Perfect. it. Love it. Randy, I think that, that concludes our our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to keeping up with you and learning maybe about all the different AI things that you guys released and and further acquisitions that you've made. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks so much for your time.
0: All right. Yeah, I think that was a good conversation with Randy. I liked the, well, first I liked his, his trip to the Netherlands. That's always a, a good a good trip to go to. But I like we was talking a little bit about you know the the content management and the kind of the benefit value prop. I think that was really important. That 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 va- that be able to show the speed to to shelf from thirty days to five days. Kind of is, is that impact. Which is always great. Anytime you tie your technology to a, a kind of tangible ROI or uh, measurement, and you can showcase that, it really you know pops the value for that. I didn't know too much of how the retailer fit into the to the chain, you know, from manufacturer mm-hmm. and the content and and how that was d- derived to so the how they influenced the you know the SEO and the keywords there makes sense right because then you can you know, this, you know search optimization works out the, the content pops for them it drives them to the e commerce side of choice so i didn't i didn't know that was part of the flow and i thought that was really interesting how that gets folded in and then the acquisition story was great i think that i think he's right i mean just knowing about m a and and that cultural fit is it tend, tends to be sometimes i think maybe overlooked sometimes and it, it it turns into be a very valuable part of that equation because you you know you get the people coming in you have like how they do deal with things, their process, their culture, and you know if it doesn't gel right, it can, it can cause friction. And if it does gel right, you, it's, it's amazing. So I think him, him, you know, pointing that out as being a an important factor of of that is uh, really cool. Lucas, what you what'd you what'd you take away? What would you think?
1: Yeah, so uh, a couple of things. Just on a fun note, actually, my first travel abroad was to the Netherlands as well, oh, wow. uh, and 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 I recommend it. That, that was a lot of fun. Yeah from from my side interesting the the in- injection of AI in various parts so it's not just that AI solves everything it's about you know, figuring out which aspects of the business AI can help with. So that was my, my takeaway. And then just the, the build versus buy, it's it's an interesting transition when you start to actually think about, you know, acquiring companies to fill in functional capabilities. I did like that, that Randy particularly highlighted the fact of getting folks that, that are acquired, particularly product managers, to, to really kind of cross-feed and, and be educated and trained on the entire product. Because I can imagine that if, you know, my product – baby that I worked on was was acquired, I'd I'd kind of be fearful of its future, that it's no longer as cherished as as it was because it was the only thing. And mm-hmm. so driving that kind of relevance to the bigger picture of that product and and seeing a future et cetera and how it helps, I think probably from a cultural perspective drives the the acquisition towards success just because pms now know what what they're actually going for so i think that's a that's a good call out there and i think that concludes our episode again thanks so much everyone for joining and listening in to to the podcast be sure to hit that subscribe button and uh, look forward to having you on listening to our next episode thank you